0: next week. Currently, it's 30 degrees Celsius, relative humidity 76 percent, and the very hot weather warning is in effect. The news from RTHK.
1: Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Jenny Lam. On today's program, we're talking about kids and internet addiction. A new survey of primary and secondary school students found almost a third of them had recently played video games non-stop for more than five hours, while almost half admitted to hours-long online video watching sessions.
2: Researchers say around 12% of respondents had symptoms of internet addiction and there was a high incidence of depression, anxiety and stress among the students' polled. So how worried should we be? Is gaming just a new norm among youngsters? How should parents deal with their screen-obsessed kids? Or are adults just part of the problem? After 9.45, we'll get reaction to the government's
1: recruitment schemes that uh, just received more than 100,000 applications.
2: Let us know what you think on our Facebook page. Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88-266.
1: Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Dr Nick Deer, an assistant professor who specializes in addiction and mental health at the HKCT Institute of Higher Education, and Dr Amos Chung, the vice president of the Hong Kong Psychological Society. Also in our Admiralty studio, we have psychotherapist Tim Hoffman. Good morning to all of you and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Um, let's start with you Dr. De. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Um, you helped uh, carry out the study we just mentioned in the introduction. Um, which finding from your study do you think is uh, most worrying?
3: Yes, well, because uh, we... Uh we are because we uh, uh, want to know more about the uh, gaming behaviors among our teenagers after the three years pandemic. And we find that the uh, uh, study um, is quite uh, impressive or being shocked because uh, those uh, students, the, uh, they uh, study uh, from home and also they uh, uh, increase the uh, amount of time using computers and internet. And those parents reported to us is, uh, their children, uh, have, a more in- a tendency to become addicted to gaming. So we, uh, launched this survey and our press conference, uh, conducted in, on the Mondays and we, uh, interviewed, uh, 2,770 students from, uh, primary, stu- primary school and, uh, secondary school. And uh, we um find that uh about uh seventy eight percent of uh, students are uh, at risk or a tendency to be uh internet gaming problems or internet gaming disorders. And other uh, another uh figures are uh, more impressive is the binge uh gaming um about uh thirty one thirty uh, two percent of uh uh, students reported that they are uh, continuously uh, gaming for five hours or above in the last month. So, um, these figures are uh, telling us that the students uh, in front of, uh, spend lots of time um, in front of the screen and it will uh, um, reduce the time to face to face interactions with their parents and also their peers. And that is the concern because uh, we find that we think that the students uh, need to um, have further uh, exposure uh, in their daily life, and they can they can engage different activities or people rather than, uh, sit in front of the computers and playing games. But uh, playing game is not a evil. Uh, and other uh, statistic from our study uh, survey, um, we are uh, investigate the. Um, uh students um uh, mental health conditions and we find that the um uh stress levels, uh anxiety levels and also uh depressive symptoms are relative high and that is a alarming uh uh concern their mental health conditions um yes and also um and other uh key figure is the sleep qualities. We found that uh sixty five percent of uh students they uh reach a low quality of uh, sleep quality uh low sleep quality. That will be a concern because sleep and sleep qualities and the mental health conditions are, are highly uh related. And the last thing is um the uh health seeking uh attitude. And uh from our studies, um of students are willing to seek help from the uh, 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 counselor and also social workers in order to help them to set a platform to discuss with their parents uh, about the gaming habits or the routine. That means those students uh, in their families, they feel really stressed uh, with the family to... um, uh, maybe have some conflict every day about their gaming time. So they're willing to seek help. Okay, and,
2: yeah, okay. Oh, let's, let's, go over, let's go over to Tim Hoffman. Now you, you're a therapist uh, with, uh, with offering psychological counseling. Can you tell us some of the cases you've come across of these young people who are addicted?
4: Well, you know, to be honest, um, kids don't come and say, oh, I think I play too much video game. It's the parents who are upset about this. And I think the parents are upset for two reasons. First of all, they're concerned that um, it's going to affect their child's future. They want the kid to be studying rather than playing games, and it drives them crazy watching the kid waste five hours in a day. And the second thing is the concern that the gaming is making the children unhappy, affecting their moods. So the the issue about the the future is a very real one, because these days, um, if you don't get a degree from a good university you're kind of condemned to what you could call the precarious class which is people who just scrape by don't have a lot of money don't have good housing and so parents are terrified that their kids are going to end up like that
2: right so so in terms of therapy how can you help them
4: well you you, know, you can't help someone who comes with an addiction and doesn't think that they have a problem and that's that's the issue when children are playing a lot of games, I suspect that that's much more of a symptom of unhappiness rather than a cause of unhappiness. So they may be coming in because they're anxious um, or hopeless about their homework. They feel that they can't succeed. They may be feeling socially isolated. They don't have any friends and therefore they look to online friends. Um, Life is sometimes just simply too awful. So they create an alternate life or maybe they're trying to avoid their family or maybe this is just something that they feel good at. And so if you take that away from them, if you say, okay, you're you're not allowed to play games anymore, how does that help the kid? Hmm. Okay. They still have those problems.
2: So Amos, John, what, what do you think? Do you agree? It's a symptom of unhappiness and they're looking for an, an alternative life to reality.
5: The symptoms of unhappiness, I guess, in part, it contributes to the uh, internet gaming addiction problem because uh, we know that uh, for people who have uh, internet gaming disorders, they would use gaming as a way to relieve their negative emotions, a way of avoidance and coping. So we have to differentiate between gaming and those who are addicted to gaming. And for those who are addicted to gaming, it's not just about uh, uh, seeking fun it more is associated with the fact that they do not have the ability to 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 attain or generate this sense of happiness, this sense of presence, this sense of importance, achievements in their real life interactions. And these sense of achievements, these sense of importance, to a certain extent, are legitimate needs for a human being to develop healthily mentally. So I guess the problem and the challenges. Why do there are uh, these group of students, these kids, they have to resort to something that is virtual but not real, that they, they that becomes the only source of happiness? And there are research indicating that when people are being placed uh, in a more environmentally enriched environment where they have a lot of access to a lot of stimulus, then gaming is not the only way out and they would not just simply choose gaming to addict to.
2: Okay so are you saying that parents should really look at the root cause of these uh, of this unhappiness and and you know this situation is by far not unique to Hong Kong is it? Is is our no. problem more acute than any other places?
5: Uh, it, it is not a unique place uh, a unique phenomenon in Hong Kong and it has been quite an issue around the global otherwise we won't have the uh, dsm-5 to actually include internet gaming as one of the diagnosable disorders but yes uh uh asia particularly uh uh, the china region has been one of the uh, uh most uh severe places that are impacted by this issue, uh, there are research indicating that, say, for example, uh, we know that on the average, uh, gamers in mainland China they tend to uh, spend more than twelve hours at least uh, 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 per day, or to 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 play games uh, per per week to play games. Whereas uh, 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 gamers on average uh, in the states, they tend to spend eight hours uh per week to only play games and there are research indicating that in hong kong gamers in hong kong uh, kids spend around 11 hours per week in playing video games so we are are, are, are having some challenges been working on this area
2: all right i,
1: I have an email here from mike uh, maybe uh, dr jay maybe you can help her uh, answer his question um he says um kids and internet addiction wake up have you been on the mtr lately nearly every adult is buried in their phones the addiction is massive and then he goes on to say i'm still listening waiting for well some good old meaningful debate and uh, that message is from mike so uh, dr joe how big a role do you think uh, adults or, or parents have to play in when it comes to uh, internet addiction and kids?
3: Okay, uh, because um, we uh, heard, we, um, when we uh, listened to uh, reports from some parents, they said, uh, I, I would suggest that the parents should keep calm to discuss with their children and uh, uh, how many. Uh, hours they can, uh, use the gaming. And if they don't, uh, follow the uh, plan, and then we just, uh, need to, uh, uh discuss with them to, uh, reschedule and be patient. And because, uh, we, uh, uh have many cases is that, uh, the parents is impatient or just put the authorities to order the children, uh, to, uh, uh, give the ipad or phone back to the parents and then we, it will trigger a lot of uh, emotions from the children and uh the relationship between the children and parents and the first thing is keep calm the second thing is uh, to uh, if the children do not have um uh, addictive on uh, gaming and we try to develop a healthy lifestyle and routines to those students. If the children are addicted to gaming, then um, I would say keep calm. And maybe if you can talk to the children, then you can um, uh, sit down to uh, understand the, um, why he is so addicted to gaming, what happens in their school life, and uh, are there anything the so parents can help him. If the children doesn't want to this. Uh, these topics to the parents. Then I would say to seek professional help because um, there are some uh, project based uh, service in Hong Kong. They are uh, serve the uh, adolescents with uh, internet gamings and their uh, family. Right. And Because yes, if there are a middleman or a social workers or a counselor between them to help them to facilitate. Um, their conversation in a positive way and also to listen to each other. In my um, experience is that at the end they can come up a consensus plan and try to work out the consensus plan to support each other to make a better communications and harmony family relationship.
1: right. Let's, uh, uh, Dr. Chung, let's let's go back to uh, this uh, email from Mike. I mean, I think what he's really saying is uh, how can we expect uh, kids to uh, not use their phone so much to uh, not uh, have so much screen time when adults, uh, they are actually using their phone all the time?
5: Uh, That is an irony. And in fact, there are research indicating that uh, uh, adults have spent roughly uh, 15 to 20 plus hours per week actually on social medias and these uh, browsings of various sorts. So when we compare the time actually spent on social media versus time spent per week, Uh, for for gamers, uh, you would see the difference that actually people spend more time on social media than on gamers. Uh, That is one thing. The other thing is that, yes, modelling is an important effect. So we also have, I've seen that there are parents when they are on the MTR, on public transport, the first thing they set down is to give their phone to their kids so that they can fiddle their own phone. So this already created an addiction and it's something that, of course, the kids would model upon. So if we want to change, the parents, the adults would have to be the model, otherwise it's not going to work.
1: All right. We have a caller on the line and it's uh, Anna. Good morning, Anna.
5: Hello.
6: um, I'm a specialist addiction counsellor and I'd like to add to Mike's point which is this is the parent's problem. But until parents are willing to put in clean, clear boundaries about their kid's internet use, you're never going to get any change here. Because you've now got parents who are now the gener- of the internet generation themselves. And when I'm sitting in my consulting room with the parent and the kid, and I'm, he's saying, fix my kid, and I'm saying, well, what boundaries are you willing to put in about your internet gaming and access use? Are you willing to, to have um, internet-free meals and he looks at me the guy looks at me and goes of course not you know work might call me i must have my phone on at the table at all times and i think well you know how are you expecting to model good internet boundaries if you haven't got them yourself okay. now china, china actually leads the way with this um so- if anyone ever saw internet chunky which was a, a documentary made about uh, how they treat gaming in china every city in china has a Uh, I don't want to call it a boot camp, but it's pretty much a boot camp for gaming addiction. And the authorities will um, treat the teenage, mostly sons, of course, of, of parents who are concerned about their gaming. And they're very successful at this. Now, China's taken this seriously for decades now. But Hong Kong lags this really, really, really far behind. But you've got to start with the parents. And I'm afraid modern parents don't really like having firm boundaries because they don't like saying no.
2: Okay, so the parents are are not sticking to the rules when they expect the kids to. So can you give me an example of some of these boundaries that you would give to a family? So you you mentioned no phones at meals, what else? Well,
6: um, modelling, putting down your phone when you're having family time, when you're having family discussions and not having conversations with one eye on your phone scrolling through your messages or your game while you're talking to your kid or when you're um, supposed to be playing with your kid you're on the sofa on your phone doing whatever you're doing and the kid's playing on the floor and you think as a parent that that's actively participating and playing with your kid but actually the child experiences that as neglect the child experiences that you prefer to play your game than play with them okay Okay. very damaging to the self-worth of the child
2: yeah tim hoffman you want to add to that
4: well, I, I think modeling is important, yes, but I think what's, what's really critical is to look at the data here. And the, and the data shows that since 2010, that anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, and self-harm have gone through the roof. And, for example, since 2010, among girls in the United States, 12% had depression in 2010, 30% had depression in 2019, Among boys, it went from 5% to 12%. So there's something that's that's been happening just since 2010. And the interesting thing is that in 2010, that was when um, the iPhone 4 was released. That was the first forward-facing camera. And Instagram was launched. And there is a lot of information coming out of two researchers in the States called Jonathan Haidt and Gene Twenge, which show that it is social media that is causing this massive increase in mental health, a mental illness among children and teenagers and now young adults in the States and in the entire world. So it's, it's not that kids are watching too much YouTube, not that they're watching too much Netflix, and not that they're playing too much games. It's they're on social media too much. That's mm-hmm. what is pernicious.
2: Yeah, Amos Chan, we know that you know, when when kids are on social media or when they're gaming, the brain gets a dopamine hit and then you, you get into this sort of dopamine deficit state. Tell us a little bit more about what's happening in the developing brain. Well
5: it's damaging because it sort of helps set this stage of uh of these uh, default mode. Well where we would be so addicted to this dopamine high and in search of it so that it becomes and slowly develop our brain into a more addictive brain only searching for this specific dopamine hit and it can of course have damaging effect and what is also even more worrying is uh, from the data from research we have, have been able to in- locate uh, gamers addictive gamers are mostly impacted, uh, on, uh, uh, those who are below 18 and the young adults. And, and, and this is worrying because they are the, 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 the most important population for our future of the society. And there are also research indicating that actually lower uh, socioeconomic status, uh, less parental support, less supervision. And then also, of course, as uh, Tim also already mentioned, poor mental health were risk factors for uh, uh, gaming addiction behaviors.
1: All right, I just want to check, is Anna still there, I'll call her. All right, uh, we forgot to say thank you, Anna, again, thanks for calling in. Um, and uh, Dr. Chang, I just want to ask, um, um, earlier I'll call Anna, she's talking about how parents, uh, she set a good example. Um, how, how can adults uh, tell when, when they're addicted? When is uh, it too much for them to, to use the, uh, the phone, or like for example, on the MTR or during mealtime? How, how do they know it's too much? Like how many well, hours is there? Is there any uh, criteria?
5: It's not about hours as a, a a a only criteria, but more is that well, despite the fact that if you know that you are risking and jeopardizing uh, relationships, uh, you still have a problems of getting your, yourself to stop, so as if you are losing control, uh, where. You continue to game. You continue to 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 use these uh, uh, social media, these internet uh, devices. Uh, despite there are a lot of conflicts, then it means that there's already an indicator that things are not going well, and yet you are still very much very reluctant to 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 to, to part with that device in your hands. Mm-hmm. So I guess these are more important indicators uh, that might suggest that, well, if you are facing them, maybe it's time to actually to, to seek help.
2: Right, Tim. So the reality is um, children nowadays, students, they, they do have to work on the Internet for their homework, sometimes research, etc. And parents, you know, they leave the room and they don't really know whether the kid is gaming or, or actually doing work. What advice do you have?
4: <laughs> well, you, you don't wanna be the, the internet police and stand over <laughs> your kid's shoulder. Um, I, I think it's important to, to work with your children rather than to try to, to be a tyrant towards them. So if you sit down and say, look, you know, I'm worried about your future. I want you to do well in, in school. And I'm concerned that you're taking a lot of time on your, uh, you know, playing games. What can we do about this together that is going to help? It's not going to work in every case, but I, I can guarantee you if you stand over your kid and you, and you make sure that they're, they're doing what you want them to do, when they're out of your control, whether that's when you're not in the house or when they're off at university, things will fall apart.
2: Oh, you know, in in the mainland, they restrict the number of hours that kids of a certain age can access games. What do you think of that?
4: Well, I mean, if you have a system of government that allows that, then you know that can that can work very well because then none of your peers are playing games. You're not. You don't feel excluded. I don't think that would work in in many countries.
1: All right, uh, Mr. Hoffman. Uh Yes, Dr. Cheng, you want to add on to some? Yeah, and just I, I think very briefly. Um,
3: the, the, the um, mainland government policy is also uh, in response to a specific symptoms of uh, internet gaming addictions. that is the preoccupations. Because when we restricted the uh, number of hours those children uh, use the internet or gaming, and the uh, Chinese government tried to uh, offer an alternative. They try to promote the uh, Physical activities or exercise for those people and invite those people to, uh, doing sport and uh, in order to strengthen their physical health and mental right. health. All right, Doctor Jay. Let's
2: uh, let's uh, take.
1: I have to take a quick break for the news. Let's continue our discussion afterwards uh, when we'll be joined by uh, Juliana Pang, an addictions therapist based in Singapore, and uh, Doctor Amos Chung. Thanks again for joining us this morning. The, he's the uh, vice president of the Hong Kong Psychological Society. Now, if you want to ask our guests questions or share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on RTHK Radio Three, email us at backchat at rthk. hk, or give us a call. On 233 And here's a quick look at the weather. Mainly fine, apart from isolated showers to start with. Very hot during the day, with highs of around 34 degrees in the urban areas. The very hot weather warning is currently in force. Right now, it's 30 degrees, relative humidity 75%. It's now 9.30 with a news summary. Here's Andrew Shirofsky.
0: Scientists are a step closer to declaring that humans are in a new geological time period, the Anthropocene Epoch. It takes its name from Anthropos, the Greek word for man, to describe the most recent period in Earth's history, where human activity reshaped the planet. President Biden and his Turkish counterpart, President Erdogan, have discussed further strategic cooperation between the two countries on Ukraine and a range of other regional issues. The meeting took place on the sidelines of the NATO summit in the Lithuanian capital, Vilnius. And after spending more than 50 years in prison, Leslie Van Houten, a disciple of the notorious cult leader Charles Manson, has been released on parole. Van Houten, now in her 70s, has been moved to a halfway house. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock.
1: One is perfect for a solo. With two, you can play doubles. The more, the merrier. How about a quartet? You could even form a basketball team. How many children should you have? The choice is yours. Be sure to plan ahead and plan it well. Call the Family Planning Association of Hong Kong on 2572
4: The government has launched HKE Toll. With a vehicle tag, there is no need to stop to pay tunnel tolls. Tolls will be deducted from your account automatically. Starting from 5 a.m. on July 23rd, HKE Toll is implemented at the Cross Harbour Tunnel. When using toll tunnels that don't have HKE Toll yet, please continue to use the existing payment methods. Visit hketoll.gov.hk for more. Drive Smart with HKE Toll.
1: Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Jenny Lam and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program is Dr. Nick Tear, an assistant professor who specializes in addiction and mental health at the HKCT Institute of Higher Education and psychotherapist Tim Hoffman. Also joining us now is Juliana Pang, an addictions therapist based in Singapore. Good morning, Ms. Pang.
7: Good morning, everyone.
1: Thanks for joining us on the program. So um, we've been talking about a new study in Hong Kong that shows that almost a third of primary and secondary school kids surveyed had uh, recently played video games nonstop for more than five hours, uh, while most, uh, almost half admitted to hours-long online video watching sessions. Um, Ms. Pang, how does that compare to the situation in Singapore?
7: Uh, so thank you for actually sharing the statistics um, on the Hong Kong uh, demographic. In Singapore, it's very similar as well. There was a recent study released um, in June by uh, done by three universities, NIE, NTU and NUS, where they surveyed about 2,500 primary and secondary school students. And they've actually also found that uh, children have been playing video games with tangible effects like lack of sleep and poorer academic results from the additional gaming hours
2: Uh, you have more of an ethnic diversity in singapore than we do in hong kong do you see a difference in the different ethnic groups uh, different uh, you know is it different between boys and girls Um, at the
7: moment um, we do not actually have statistics that go into the gender differences or in terms of cultural differences in terms of gaming Um, adoption. Um, At at the moment, the statistics is pretty generic, although um, anecdotally, so in the clinic, we tend to see more boys than girls
1: um, seeking treatment. So there are many kids uh, seeking treatment for gaming addiction in Singapore? Uh, Absolutely. So
7: um, with better awareness in terms of the publicity, in terms of the effects of gaming um, and impact on young children and this is done through many agencies uh, that we've set up um, by the government. So there's greater awareness now. So what we found is that parents are now more willing to bring in their children to seek help um, even before the problem becomes really severe. So they're more aware to look out for signs when the children are now spending more and more time into gaming or social media, um, and bring them earlier into treatment.
2: We've been talking here about how parents are actually part of the problem—that that they themselves are not modelling um, well to the kids. Is that the situation in Singapore? And how do you deal with that?
7: Um, I think that's a really fair point because as a society. We consume huge amount of time, uh, not just in gaming, just screen time in particular. So, World Health Organization estimated that the average adult, right, not the child, but the average adult, spend at least six to seven hours of screen time, you know, including time they spend at work, as well as post usage um, at home. So the children are going to model the behaviour after their parents, so they may not be aware that the screen time could be spent on responding to emails or working on work-related projects. Um, all they know is that there is less communication, mum and dad comes home and they're on the laptops as well, so there's a little bit of that modelling of
2: the behaviours. So, Tim Hoffman, in your counselling session, do you usually have the entire family there? It's, is that how it should be approached um
4: you know with that kind of a of of an issue internet gaming issue then yes it it can be very useful to have the whole family there very often i think what parents do is they'll they'll send the kid say you've got a problem go and fix it with this therapist but you know again this comes back to the issue of is this a cause of poor school behavior school performance and a cause of poor mental health or is it the other way around All these studies talk about the correlation between um, playing a lot of video games and feeling bad and doing badly in school, but perhaps it's the other way around. Perhaps kids are feeling bad, they're doing badly in school, and they flee to internet gaming as a way of Mm self-medicating.
2: So you have this family sitting in front of you now, the parents and, and the kid who's supposed to have an addiction. What do you say to them?
4: Well, you talk about, you know, what, what is going on here? What's wh- What happens when your child plays video games? What do you do? How do you control this behavior? What are you trying to get out of this? And come to some mutually agreed rules that don't, infol- that don't involve the parents being a, uh, a policeman on the child. Right. I'm, I'm a big fan Sorry, of setting consequences rather than trying to change the behavior you just say look if you want to play video games all day long that's fine but then you don't get this thing that you're looking for
1: if right. you're
4: willing to take that punishment that's fine
1: okay mr hoffman <clears throat> so um when it comes to treating uh, gaming addiction how is it different from other forms of addiction I- is it different is it easier or, or harder to
4: treat um Well, you know, the traditional view of of addiction, back, if you look back 50, 60, 100 years ago, it was that addiction was a moral failing and society would wag their fingers at you and say, you must not drink so much, you must not do so much drugs, You're you're a person with no willpower. Then the modern view is, it's not that it's a willpower issue, there's something wrong with you, you have a disease. But both of these approaches are actually pernicious. They're not good for you because one of them, the first one makes you feel like I'm a terrible person. I have no willpower. The second one makes you feel, oh, I'm sick. I'm I'm helpless. I have this disease. What can I do? Neither of those are helpful in therapy. What is helpful is to say you have a coping mechanism. You've got a problem and the way you cope with it is by drinking or taking drugs or by gambling or by playing internet. Now let's figure out Sorry, playing an internet game. Let's now figure out what it is that's causing you to do this and figure out a different coping mechanism.
2: Yeah, so, so in Hong Kong in particular, what are some of the root causes of this uh, unhappiness? Is it, has it got worse, for example, during COVID?
4: Um, I, I, I can't speak for, for COVID because I haven't seen any, any particular research on that myself. But what, what are the root causes? Um, some of them are uh economic some of them are um the 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 fact that the world is a is a very difficult place for kids growing up there's a lot more pressure especially in the developed world on kids to do well in school because as i said at the beginning if you don't do well in school you're condemned to a, a quite a poverty-stricken life
1: all right let's go to miss pang miss pang do, do you have an idea yes. like a is it a, is a internet addiction among uh kids uh worse during a uh, COVID?
7: Um, So I think it was rightly pointed out that, you know, sometimes um, it's a chicken and an egg. So depending on whether or not the person, um, the child involved, is already struggling in the first place. So with COVID, what we've found is that children have to actually do online classes. So there's definitely a drop in terms of the social interaction that they have with their schoolmates. And at a growing up age, peers are one of the most important co-regulating support resources for children and recreational resources for children. So they have definitely turned more towards um, internet and gaming um, as a source of um, relaxation, as a source of coping with boredom. And also online learning as well during the period of COVID, also means that the children are spending more screen time um, doing their schoolwork. So there's definitely factors that push them towards more usage uh, during the COVID time. Right. And, and also to touch, sorry, also to touch on slightly uh, about uh, you know involving the the parents in in the treatment process as well. Uh, that's that's really critical now because. Um, part of the support resources come from the parents. So, when we actually treat the the patient in the child in question, parents do play a role in helping the children achieve a more balanced life and getting more support resources.
3: Right. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I want to interrupt a bit uh, about the, the uh, uh, treatment of uh, Internet Gaming. Yep. Uh, apart, from from ahead, the traditional, yeah, apart from the traditional uh, family intervention, and uh, when we work with uh, persons with addictive behaviors, and we have a uh, evidence-based approach called uh, motivational interviewing, and that is a one-on-one kind uh, of uh, interaction to motivate the uh, clients to uh, make some changes. And now, uh, uh, university grants committees to uh, support my research is to develop a collective motivational interviewing. That means to involve the family members. But we want to get worse into the relationships. That means we don't put them all in the first time meeting because they may have a conflict, they may have a, a, a difficult to communicate with each other. Um, rather, the collective motivation interviewing is to prepare and get ready the uh, adolescents to join the interviews. And the first and second section is to engage the clients, understanding why they are involved in the gaming and what positive things I give from them. And, uh, and the counselor try to engage with the clients. The second section is to do the standard motivation interviewing to enhance the motivations to change about uh, the, the gaming behaviors and get ready the conjoint section. The second section is to involve the family members and individual sections for the family members to listen the difficulties of the uh, parents how to work with their children and how to uh, help the parents to identify the strengths of the the, the the children and 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 what are the underlying uh, uh, goal of the the parents look for the counseling and after that we get ready both parties and and invite them to join the conjoint section in the third, fourth section. And they listen to each other. They understand each other more. And they try to have more tolerance about the behavior. And the parents give little or less stress on asking the children to cut down the uh, gaming time immediately. they being more patient. And they are more easy to struggle a uh, consensus plan at the end. That is a four-section brief intervention and involve family members in a brief counseling. That is what we are going to investigate and testing the effectiveness of collective motivation in the doing in Hong Kong.
2: Oh, when, when is the service going to start? Uh, the, the service, um, we start at the
3: beginning of this year. We have already trained up 20 uh, social workers they are focused in working on this topic they are uh, understand uh adolescent gaming programs they they e- I equip them with a collective motivation interviewing and this project are uh, collaborate with uh, three uh, uh, large youth service in Hong Kong now in June after the survey uh, survey is uh, launched and we are, at the same time, to start the recruitment of our uh, participants to join our uh, research project in this uh, collective motivation interviewing.
2: Okay, so if, if any of the listeners are interested in this um, approach, in this um, in this four sessions, where can they go yeah. to yeah, find
3: it? in the verbal or we uh, try to uh, study some uh, systematic reviews or meta-analysis, we found that up to now, there are no uh, confirmed effective uh, treatments for internet gaming. Even medications, even um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapies, even a family therapy, they try to accumulate or try to uh, find out some preliminary studies or Preliminary funding to support the effectiveness. for this. But re- now
2: yeah, yeah, I Sorry. was just saying if, if the listeners are interested in in the sessions that you just described, where can they go to find this help?
3: Yeah, um we have a hotline. They can call our number five one four eight five six seven four and they can reach our social workers and uh, we have we will give them a brief screening and if they are eligible for our study then they will go into a randomized control trial and if they are um, not, not uh, eligible for our study then we can refer to our collaborators because we have three large youth service as our collaborators in our our research project they are running some uh, internet gaming uh, prevention and treatment uh, project in Hong Kong. Okay. But sure. the last thing I, mm. I, I want to say is uh, that the policy implications of, of our survey is that the, uh, even we have free uh, um, uh, youth service they are delivering some uh, prevention programs in Hong Kong but they are not a regular funded by the government and we try to urge the government to um, take serious looks in these problems and maybe put more uh, resources to uh, to subvent those service to enhance their uh, uh, human resources and they are they can set up their long term plan how they work with uh, those uh, children and families.
2: Okay, so I'm just going to read out that number again and correct me okay. if I'm wrong. It's five one four eight. Five six seven four, and this is with the is- Institute of Higher Education. If anybody's interested in the approach that you talked about, the four sessions um, to deal with internet gaming addiction, am I correct? Yeah. Five one four eight five six seven four. Perfect.
1: Okay. All right, uh, Doctor Te, we have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Doctor Nick Te, an assistant professor who specialises in addiction and mental health at the HKCT Institute of High Education. Many many thanks also to uh, psychotherapist Tim Hoffman and also Juliana Pang, an addictions therapist from Visions by Promises Healthcare in Singapore. It's now nine forty eight, and in a moment we'll get reaction to the government's recruitment schemes that's just received more than 100,000 applications.
6: 95
5: years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, audience of RTHK. I'm Paul Chen, the financial secretary. This year marks the 95th anniversary of RTHK. I wish RTHK every success in starting a new chapter for public service broadcasting.
7: 95 years of public service broadcasting, 95 stay, years. Tuned. stay tuned with Hong Kong.
0: You're listening to Backchat, call us on 233 266 and have your say.
1: The government said more than 100,000 applications have been received during the first six months of the year for various schemes to attract non-Hong Kong talent. The chief executive, John Lee, said yesterday around 60% of the applications will be approved and an analysis will be conducted in the future to determine the areas of talent the applicants fall into. To comment on this, we're joined on the line now by Roy Ying, the co-chair of the Advocacy and Policy Research Committee at the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resources. Management. Good morning, Mr. Ying.
8: Good morning, Jenny. Good Thanks. morning, Janice.
1: Thanks for uh, joining us on the program. Uh, so, more than 100,000 applications received. It's uh, significantly higher than what officials had expected. How would you describe the response to the talent schemes?
8: Well, the Institute discussed this internally, and uh, holistically, we're very pleased to see such encouraging response. It looks like people are voting with their feet. Um, however, we don't know, as you rightly pointed out, it's, we don't know the breakdown of these 100,000. Um, it's actually quite difficult to assess whether they are filling the vacancies in areas that are most urgently needed. It would be very useful if the government can provide more information on the breakdown as well as um, how many of the approved applications uh, will actually be relocating to Hong Kong because those people, they don't really need a job um, on hand before they apply.
2: What kind kind of skills are we most urgently in need of?
8: Well, um, our chief executive, John Lee, has mentioned many times that the national 14th five-year plan supports the development of the eight centres. And they're the financial, IT, trading, arts and culture, IB trading, dispute resolution, aviation, shipping, etc. Strategically, we want to see talents from these eight sectors. But in the short term, what we would prefer if the talents coming to Hong Kong in the next few months, um, at least in the next year, are those who can actually address the immediate needs of employers, uh, especially those uh, professions on the talent list. Um, I mean, with 100,000 applications, even if 60% are approved, that's quite a lot of visas to uh, to process by the immigration department. Um, I think the government can do some prioritizing to meet our employees' needs. Um, That's our view.
1: Right. And the chief executive, uh, he uh, said earlier that uh, the response to the talent schemes uh, is proof of Hong Kong's continued attractiveness. Um, In your view, how attractive is Hong Kong at the moment in the job market?
8: It is very hot. Um, As I said before, people are voting with their feet, um, they have, when they decide to come to Hong Kong, it's not just one person. Um, they're likely to uh, have a spouse, or maybe children. So it's a big decision. And if they're still looking to come to Hong Kong, relocating to Hong Kong, Hong Kong is not cheap, and uh, education for children is not cheap. And, uh, and if you still don't want to come to Hong Kong, it shows that there is some kind of attractiveness. Um, let 's look at some numbers. Um, I was looking at the um, at the um, number of persons employed in May. Um, it actually increased by ten thousand compared to April. but the labor force participation rate dropped zero point one percent to fifty seven point six percent and the unemployment rate just remained the same it, it It just shows these numbers shows the employment market is very strong, even when more people are joining the workforce we're still not having enough people um, and the people I talk to are still having trouble finding candidates to fill vacancies.
2: Yeah, so you mentioned, you know, cost of housing is high here, education is can be very competitive and expensive. How prepared is Hong Kong for this influx of people?
8: Um, I think we've had um, many discussions before on the capacity of Hong Kong. Um, I think... Um, it, it's, a, it's a matter of the right balance. Um, these people, they are talents and they, um, they, they, obviously they have choices. Um, I'm sure when they come to Hong Kong, they will do some research. And if, if they are able to afford the housing, if they're able to afford um, the children's education, they will want to come. Um, But judging from the uh, overwhelming response, I think um, these people, they must have done some initial research to figure out whether they are able to afford this high cost of living before coming to Hong Kong. Um, On the point whether they are coming, relocating to Hong Kong, let me just explain a little bit because um, in today's day and age, people don't actually have to physically locate in one place to work for a company. So there may be a chance these people—they're not really physically relocating or traveling, um, cross-border, um, uh, day trip, et cetera. Et cetera. So the, these are things that we have to look out for. And look, um,
2: you mean you mean they're just working remote? They're not actually here.
8: Um, possible, because um, right now, I mean, if you talk to um, many of the organisations, they are because they're having trouble filling vacancies. Um, Many of the jobs that they have are now now, uh, activity-based, some of them are hybrid working, some of them work from home, Um, some of them may not even be in Hong Kong. So um, it is a trend that we're we're seeing, um, but whether it applies to um, the visa uh, requirements of the immigration department, that is something that we will have to wait and see.
2: I mean, that doesn't really benefit our economy, then, if they uh, aren't well, actually if here. that is
8: the case, that is um, – we don't know, I, I have to say, we don't know. Um, but my, my view is that most of these people, um, they, must have had done, they must have had done some initial research and see, hey, Hong Kong is attractive before they want to come, and, uh, and that is, that is why, why I said before, uh, people are voting with their feet.
1: Right. I have an email here from Mike, and uh, he says, um, what is the breakdown of language skills in this group? I find uh, many new contacts in Hong Kong only speak Mandarin. And uh, that is from Mike. Um, Mr. Ying, I guess that's a question you want to know the yeah, answer to. Yeah,
8: I also want to know. But uh, but based on, I, I don't know the breakdown, but um, I, I remember seeing um, a news coverage by... Um, Uh, The secretary for labour, back in April, whereby he said a majority of the applications, the approved applications, are from the mainland. So, I suspect they they obviously speak Mandarin. But if they, um, I mean, judging from the criteria, if they have a two two point five billion dollar salary or they graduate from top one hundred universities. I would have a little bit more faith on their uh, language skills, um, in maybe in English.
2: Yeah. You remember that problem with uh, the scientist who was working on CRISPR and then he was approved yeah. and then there was... So, so what do you think of the vetting process?
8: Well, I think um, in any uh, new schemes, um, it's very uh, understandable whether there could be... Um, There could be uh, areas where there is not perfectly aligned. And uh, I'm sure the government has done something to um, close that loophole. So, um, you know, it's just teething out issues. I I think it's uh, I think the the media is doing a very good job uh, in uh, in in making sure that there's a checks and balance. I think that's that's um, that's just normal.
1: Right. And uh, I mean, Hong Kong is not the only place uh, that's fighting for talent at the moment. I mean, um, how competitive is uh, Hong Kong's uh, talent uh, admission schemes I mean, compared to those in other places?
8: I think um, what we need to look at is people's uh, personal growth. I mean, when in the, in, in the institution we, we were doing, uh, every year we do um, pay trend reviews. We asked employees and we asked employers, what is number one part, uh, you know, reason why anyone stays with an organization or how they are attracted to an organization? Number one is always personal growth. I think it also applies to people who want to relocate to any place. It's about personal growth. So if people are seeing a vibrancy in the economy, they will want to come. Um, in Hong Kong, um, I, I do believe the uh, opportunities are there and uh, and people will also have to look at not just the um, not just um, uh, people say Hong Kong is very expensive uh, people say Hong Kong it's not an easy place to stay yeah but but if you have to look at the whole picture the whole package um, whether they they're getting uh, subsidies from from the employers whether they get personal growth whether they are having more businesses Um, then Hong Kong becomes very attractive. I understand that in in many other places, they are offering very, very lucrative, uh, very attractive uh, offers to help um, overseas talents. But Hong Kong has its own attractiveness.
1: All right, Mr. Ying, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Roy Ying, co-chair of the Advocacy and Policy Research Committee at uh, the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resources Management. Many thanks also to you who commented, called or emailed us today and to our guest presenter, Jenny Lam and producer, Raphael. I'll be back with another episode of Back Chat tomorrow with Danny Gittings.